So we are in the third week of our series Q&A, which stands for questions and answers. And the purpose of this series overall is to help us work through some pretty basic questions on life and, and faith, on God, the Bible, over the next several weeks. And the reason that we're doing this is because it's good for us to understand that there are going to be questions in our faith. There are going to be times where we want to ask questions, and it's okay to ask those questions. As Pastor Chris said when we kicked off this series a couple weeks ago, asking questions is, is a good thing. Pastor Alex actually reiterated that last week when he said this, asking questions is an amazing way to grow. Asking questions keeps us humble and makes us wise. However, let's not ask them alone or seek answers from the world. Let's go to God together. We don't have all the answers, mind you, but we want to share what God has been teaching us. Let's also invest time talking about what we hear with our friends, family, our family friends, and small groups. We should ask questions, but we shouldn't necessarily do that alone. We get to work through some of these questions together as a group, because as we study God's Word, His truth is revealed to each and every one of us. We should take some comfort in knowing that these questions that we're asking, they're not new questions. Folks have asked these questions ever since Jesus ascended to heaven. And so all over the world for centuries, millions, if not billions of folks have asked these questions. And God's okay with that. God's okay with us asking who he is and what he's doing and about our faith and everything in between because God knows, Scripture declares, that as we seek his truth, we're going to find him. And because of that, God's more than okay with us asking all of these things that we're asking today and in the days and weeks yet to come. I would say that in our faith, if we're not asking questions, we probably have reached a point of some sort of stagnation or no faith at all because we will never get to the end of God. Why? Because he's limitless, right? I always think of it, if we ever get to a point where God's not interesting anymore, it's because we've done something. Because every time we experience God, we experience Him oftentimes in new and fresh ways. So today, I get to talk about faith. Now, when I say the word faith, a lot of things may come to mind, but the Bible actually de defines the term faith for us. It's one of the few times in the Bible it's like, faith, this is what it is. So I appreciate that about the author of Hebrews. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1, two, 1 and 2, the author of Hebrews says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, if you read that definition of faith and you're like me, you might go, wow, that's a little risky, right? Sounds like a blind leap, right? Having faith in something that we can't even see, assurance in what we don't yet know and what we can't yet see. But as we're going to see today, faith isn't a blind leap. Rather, it's a relational journey that we get to walk on with the God of the universe. See, the author of Hebrews in verse 2 says the ancients were commended for their faith. And if you were to read the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, you would see that those ancients are just people from the Bible. And those people obviously lived out lives with God. And because of that, because of the Bible, biblical account that we have of them, we get to see what God did in and through their lives as they grew in their faith with him. Here's the great thing. They weren't perfect, nor are we, but because of their relationship with God throughout the years, we can see their faith grow and develop. 
So when I start thinking about faith, there are some questions that come to mind, but also I start to think about like all the stuff that you and I have faith in. We have faith in lots of stuff, let's be honest. Like we have faith that we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to turn on the lights and they're going to work, right? We have faith that at five or six or seven o'clock in the morning, we're going to go into that small room in our house, we're going to turn on the water and we're going to step into that shower and it's going to be what? Warm, right? Unless you're like me, anybody else do like the touch, the taste, the little, the little touch, you know, the little, little is it gonna, what kind of water do we have today, right? Is today the hot water tank blue, you know? If you've never uh, walked into a completely freezing shower, wow, that'll wake you up very quickly. But we have faith that the shower's going to work. We have faith that, that the sun is going to rise, that gravity's going to work today. Could you imagine, like, if across the world at 9.30, gravity just shut off, you know? But we have faith. We have faith in all of these things that we'll be able to get from A to B. So we have faith. But we also have these questions about what does it mean to have faith as a Christian? What does it mean for us to have faith as believers? And I've come to understand that when folks start asking questions about faith and Christianity in particular, they're really asking about two different things, but they're related. And these two things quite simply are, what does it mean to be a Christian? And how can I have faith that I am one? So if you're ever around folks, or perhaps even you yourself right now are starting to ask these faith questions, just know that the underlying thing that's going on there is they're asking, how can I, how can I know that I'm a Christian? What does it even mean to be a Christian? And, and if I am one, how can I know for sure that I am one? And you might be thinking, well, that's a very basic question. And it is. That is a very basic question. But obviously, in our faith and relational journey with God, these questions come up from time to time. So it's applicable for us today, no matter where we are in our faith journey, because either we will have these questions or others around us will have them as well. Thankfully, the Bible is really, really quick to answer these questions. There are a ton of scriptures that talk about our faith, how we can know that we're Christians and how we can have faith on that. And we're going to look at a lot of them today. So just know that we're going to be bouncing around a little bit. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, just be ready. It's going to be some quick draw there as you're looking up some different verses. The words will also be up on the screen. But as we walk through all of this, I, all, I want us to come back to one main point. This is the thing that holds all of this together as we walk through this message today. It's our take-home point. And it really is going to be what holds it all together, and I hope that we'll take it and live it out this week. And it's this. Christian faith is assurance that's built on what God has said, what he has done, and what we experience in our relationship with him. So our faith, Christian faith, is built upon what God has said, what he's done, and the experience that we have with him. It's all going to come back to that. So hold on to that as we go through a number of Bible passages today. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for all of who you are. Lord, I ask right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in this place, that you would speak to our hearts, minister to our spirits to receive your truth. Lord, that we would apply it to our lives and be changed and transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we humbly pray. Amen. So when folks start asking questions about faith, when you or I ask questions about faith, when our relatives, friends, and neighbors ask questions about faith, they're really asking one of two things. What does it mean to be a Christian? And how can I know if I am one? Let's start with what does it mean to be a Christian? This, the definition of that is fairly simple, if we're honest. 
To be a Christian simply means that we have placed our hope and our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord of our lives. To be a Christian means we've placed our hope and faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord of our lives. It means that we've entered into a new relationship, frankly, with the God of the universe, which is pretty awesome, right? And we're going to look at that here in a minute, but it's a very significant relationship. I would say it's the most significant relationship that many of us will ever experience. I am married to a wonderful lady named Leslie. She's my wife. We've been married for a number of years. And even that relationship kind of pales in comparison to what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. And I can tell you, when Les and I started our marriage, I could tell, right? For any of you who are married in the room, there's like before marriage and then there's after marriage life, right? Like when you're starting to negotiate things like where toothbrushes go. I don't know, on the sink, you know? And then this was, I don't know why all these disputes typically happen in the bathroom, but then there's like you folks who have like decided that the toilet paper comes underneath. What is wrong with you? (laughs) God bless you, but come on. We all know that over the top, you get a much better fold, right? Doesn't, no premature tearing. You know, if you really want to get in depth, I've got a five-point PowerPoint that I can put up on the screen that shows with the physics why over the top is best, okay? But you don't talk about that with like your college roommate. Why? Because you're just, you know, whatever the janitor to put in the bathroom is fine. No, when you're married, life becomes new. And just like that, just in the same similar way, when we come into relationship with Jesus, things are new. Paul said this to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, and the new life has begun. So, when we enter into that relationship with Jesus, and remember, to be a Christian simply means that we have said that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. The Bible says if we proclaim with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are saved, right? We enter into this new way of life, and things start to look different. You're like, well, how does that happen? Well, it's varied. It depends on the person. Some of us perhaps prayed a prayer where we committed our lives to Jesus, Others of us may have just made a decision and went, I'm going to do that. It's varied, depends on the person in particular. Some of us can remember the exact date and time that we committed our lives to Jesus, like the weather. All of those things are perhaps very important or something that we can bring to mind. Or perhaps you're like me and you can't remember any date or time because I was four. And I remember going to my mom and asking her basically what it meant to be a Christian. What was this Jesus thing? And she started to explain it to me. And even at the age of four, I went, that makes sense to me. And so we prayed a prayer. And I'm fairly certain we were in the living room. Maybe. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we know that we have made that statement or that profession of faith. We've made that decision. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I find very helpful. He says this, If you're on a train from Paris to Berlin, some people know the exact moment they cross the border. Other people might have been asleep, so they don't know. But what matters is that you know you're in Berlin. And what matters is that you know you're a Christian now, if that's what you'd like. If we've proclaimed with our mouths that Jesus is Savior and Lord, if we've started that new relationship, congratulations, we're in Berlin. We're Christians. If we remember all the particular details, that's great. If not, that's okay as well. Again, the Bible makes this point over and over. In John 1.12, it says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, He gave the right 
to become children of God. That's an incredible promise. Think about that. When we enter into that relationship with Jesus, we get to become God's children. It says that we're co-heirs, brothers and sisters with Jesus. That's an incredible promise. But again, it comes with a pretty significant relationship. We should be able to know. This course or these, this series that we're teaching is based upon a course called Alpha. We've mentioned this, I think, each week that we've had a message in this series. And Alpha, quite simply, is a small group course where you get together and you talk about basic questions of the Christian faith, whether that's the Bible or God in particular. And it's a great series. I actually was trained as an Alpha facilitator 15 years ago at a previous church and led a couple small groups through Alpha. I really enjoyed the experience. And at the end of every Alpha, alpha course, this is a little bit of a, you, you get to see behind the curtain. So if you ever take Alpha, act surprised at this moment, okay? So at the end of the course, they give you a questionnaire and you start to fill out all things, all these things on their questionnaire. And I can remember, even as a facilitator, walking through Alpha for the first time, they gave us this questionnaire and they asked this question, would you have called yourself a Christian at the beginning of Alpha? Would you have called yourself a Christian at the beginning of Alpha? And they, over the years, have collected all of these different responses. They're going to put them up here on the screen. These are things that folks have said as they've taken the Alpha course and done the questionnaire at the end. Would you have called yourself a Christian? And they've said things like, yes, but without any real experience of a relationship with God. Okay, sort of, not sure, my personal favorite-ish, <laughs> Christian-ish, or yes, though looking back, possibly no. Now, we're going to leave those responses up on the screen, and I'm going to reframe the question for you, okay? Because, again, this is relational, right? This is a relationship with the God of the universe. But let's reframe it. Let's say that you're out and about, perhaps in the greater Butler area, and you run into my wife, Leslie. Maybe she's at Walmart. Maybe she's at the library. Maybe she's running errands with our kids. doesn't matter. And you walk up to her, and you go, hey, aren't you Pastor Barry's wife, Leslie? You're married to Pastor Barry, right? And let's just pretend, for the sake of argument, she says, yes, but without any real experience of a relationship with him. Or, sort of. Or, not sure. Or, ish. Or, in this case, this one's my personal favorite. Yes, though looking back, possibly no. We'd be having a talk. Right? You're like, well, that's absurd. But friends, our relationship with God is just as important as our relationship with a spouse whom we get to have here on earth. I'm married to this wonderful person, and I know that I'm married. In the same way, we can know that we bear the image of Jesus, that we are Christians. 1 John 5.13 says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. We can know. You're going, okay, but like, sometimes I have questions about that. Like, how can I really know? And that's fair. There have been times in my life, even though I believe and know that I'm a Christian, where I've gone, okay, but how do I really know? How can we know? What does it mean to be a Christian? And we're going to talk about three things in particular. Again, we're going to trace this relationship throughout but these three things are like three legs of a stool. No one is more important or less important. They're all equally valuable because those legs have to be the same length, right? Otherwise, it's not a very dependable stool. And what are those three things? Well, the first is what God has said through the Bible. 
The second is what he has done, which is the work of Jesus. And then the third is what we experience. We call that the witness of the Holy Spirit. These three things point us back to who God is, what he's done, and what we've experienced with him, and so give us faith in what we confess, what we say, what we know that we are, in fact, believers. So let's start with the first one, what God has said in his word, the Bible. The great thing about the Bible, as Pastor Alex covered so well last week, is that it's an actual record of what God has done. If you missed that message, go back, watch it, because Pastor Alex laid out all the textual criticism, right, all the proof that the Bible's a true and valid source of truth. And so if you missed that, I invite you to go back, because the Bible tells us who God is, what he's done, right? It reveals his character to us. It reveals his promises to us. We learn about God as we flip through the pages. The Apostle Paul actually said that as we study the word of the Lord, our faith is increased. He says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. The good news are the words of the Bible. So if we want to see our faith increase, if we want to know, in fact, that we are believers, if we want to know more about God and what he's done, we have to read the Bible. As a young teen, I really started to take the Bible seriously, and I can remember reading it through. If you've never sat down and read the Bible from beginning to end, I'd encourage you to do so. Now, I would not encourage you to start in Genesis and then work all the way through the Revelation. That's a little hard. But the Bible app has this great great program called the Bible in a Year, and you'll read some Old Testament, some New Testament, and, and a couple other pieces of wisdom literature, and you work through the whole Bible in a year. And it's a great thing because I can remember, even as a young teen, reading through the Bible, seeing my faith increase, and you know what else happened? The amount of times I went, what in the world is going on? If you've read through the Bible cover to cover, and you haven't had an experience of like they did, what? I'd like to meet you because your faith is something that I'd like to see. Old Testament, New Testament, you're like, Jesus said what? At the age of 13, I knew that Jesus wasn't as loving as they made him out to be all the time because he said some stuff that was really hard, really hard. Loving, absolutely. Hard, yeah, like you need to eat my body. Who says that? Apparently, the, now, it, the Bible tells us he meant it metaphorically which was just crazy to me, to my 13-year-old ears. You know what I got to do? I got to do what Pastor Alex suggested last week. I got to work that out with a faith-filled community, and I go, hey, uh, Sunday school teacher, what does this mean? I'll never forget, Anita Bowser, my dear, sweet Sunday school teacher when I was in uh, sixth and seventh grade said, you ask the hardest questions, but keep them coming. That's what you need as a child, right? And so our faith is built as we read the scripture. Why? Because as we interact with the Bible, we interact with God himself. We have to understand that. The Bible's the living word of God. And so when we interact with the Bible, we interact with God himself. I need all of you to know the back screen has frozen and the timer quit. So I have no idea how much time we have left, so just buckle in. I'm gonna share all the stories I clipped from the beginning. And you guys are just along for the ride. You're going to be out of here by at least 12, 15, 12, 30. For those of you who had kids, you want to take a nap, feel free. All right? But we're going to get through this together. All right, so the Bible is the actual word of God. 
We interact with God when we read his word. We come to know his character. We come to know his promises. It's pretty incredible. One of my favorite promises is found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, and it says this, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. This is a famous passage, so famous that artists have depicted it over and over and over again throughout the years. It's this image of the God of the universe, Jesus, standing at the door of our hearts just waiting. I want to show you one of the pictures today by a guy who's painted by an artist named Holman Hunt. It's a very famous painting. It's actually in some famous cathedral whose name I can't remember and I didn't put in my notes. But this picture is of Jesus standing at that door. Now, if you can make it out, if you can see it, the door is this old antique door. And you're looking at the door and you're like, why is there all those weeds and briars and brambles and stuff growing up on the outside of the door? Well, obviously the landscaper failed. No, they did that because the door has never been opened. Never been opened. And actually, several folks who saw this painting went, Holman, where's the doorknob? There's no doorknob. And he said, well, that's because the door can only be opened from the inside. See, Jesus is never going to force his way into our lives. He's never going to force his way in, but he's going to stand there patiently waiting and knocking until what? Until we open the door to him. And so it's our hope and prayer that as we read through the word of God, we come to know the character and promises of God. Our faith is built as a result of that. And what? We open that door to Jesus. Why? Well, that gets to the second part of the stool, the second leg, where we talk about who Jesus is, what he has done, right? We believe and we have faith because of the word of God, what God has said, but we also have faith in what he has done, which is the work of God. Of Jesus. Pastor Alex again did an incredible job last week outlining how we can have faith in, that, in, in who Jesus said that he was, that he is actually the Son of God. Because as he pointed out, either Jesus is a liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord, because he made some pretty definitive claims. If I were to look at my relational experience with my wife, again, I would point back to a couple of things that that point to our reality in knowing that we are actually married. I would point to the fact that there's a marriage certificate. There's an actual document. In my Christian faith, I would point to the Bible, which we just talked about. I would also be able to take you to the place where we were married, to the church. I'd be able to show you where we had our reception. I'd introduce you to some of our friends that were in our wedding party in the same way. As Pastor Alex pointed out last week, we can take you to where Jesus walked. You can go to Israel. You can see the places. You can read the accounts of friends, family, and those who didn't like Jesus, that he actually existed. And we know that he is Savior and Lord because of what he has said. And we can know that Jesus is Lord because of what he did, right? He lived that perfect life that Pastor Alex talked about. He died the death that we should have died. So that why? So that we can have that relationship with him. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We do have to do something. What do we have to do? We have to open the door. We just saw the picture. We have to actually open that door. But it doesn't matter what we've done, who we've been. So many of us may think, listen, I can't, I can't do this. Jesus can't possibly accept me for who I am. You don't know what I've done. To which I say, you don't know what I've done. Think about that on the way home. You don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done. God knows. And he's willing to forgive that. 
because thanks to the work of Jesus, we're able to receive a free gift of total salvation. Now, some of you may be thinking like, nothing's free. Nothing's free. I think that quite a bit. You know why? Because the internet's ruined me. How many of you have received the email? You know the email I'm talking about. Dear sir, sir with two R's, so you know it's formal, right? I am a distant prince from a far off land, and I would like to inform you that you are going to inherit. I'm like, I'm going to inherit? Wow, I've never even been to this locale. This is incredible. And all you need to do, dear sir, again with two R's, so you know that it's formal, is you need to give me what? Your full name and your date of birth and your social security number, and your mother's maiden name, and your first, the model of your first car, and the name of your first pet, you know, for the security questions that they're going to... Why? Because they're going to rip you off, right? There's no inheritance. We know that. Nothing's free. But with Jesus, in fact, it is free. Romans 6.23 says, for the, wages of sin is, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're so suspicious of anything that's free, we automatically assume that there's got to be a catch, but there's no catch. Doesn't mean that it was cheap. Jesus did an incredible work for us, friends. The Bible attests to that. Pastor Alex outlined that last week. He did an incredible thing. He did all the heavy lifting so that we can experience who he is. We can know God by what he has said and also by the actions, what he has actually done for us. Now, oftentimes folks will talk about the cost of being a Christian, and there's a cost. And the cost is we have to lay our lives down and allow Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of our lives, which is true. But I would say I'd much rather bear the cost of being a Christian than the cost of not being a Christian, because there's always a cost for that too. And here's how we know, because the Bible outlines certain things that we ought to do. And here's what basically happens in my head whenever God and I start having conversations about who gets to be Lord that day. I go, I want to do this. And he'll go, Barry, don't you want to clean up the junk in your life? And I go, no. I like my junk. I like all these things, right? These are the things that we... God never asks us to give up things, you know, that are going to be good for us. He only asks us to give up things that are going to harm us. And yet, for some reason, we go, nope, we like those things. But the God of the universe, because of what he's done, is never going to ask us to give up things that are good. He's only going to ask us to forego things that are hard. And that's the cost of being a Christian. I'd rather bear that cost than not being one at all. And then we believe. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, based upon his life and upon his work, so that we too can repent and come into relationship with him. So as we read the Bible, we come to know what God has done as we begin to understand, we begin to see what, Jesus, or what he has said, I should say. And then when, as we come into relationship with Jesus, we begin to realize all that he's done for each and every one of us. And then there's the third leg, which is where God actually begins to change and transform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. There's what we actually experience as his believers. The Bible tells us that when we come into relationship with God, that we experience him in a whole new way. We have a new life and that the Holy Spirit comes up and takes residence inside of us. So if we were talking about my marriage, I could point you to the marriage certificate, I could take you to the church, I could show you to the reception hall, I could introduce you to friends, and then I could talk about the 13 years of experience that I have of the blissful marriage I've had with my wife. Blissful might be strong, really good years I've had with my wife. 
She's an incredible person, and I love her more today. You hear this often, but it's true. I love her more today than when we first met because of that experience. In the same way, if you ask me about my faith, I would point you to the Bible as the document on which I place my faith. I would also point to the fact that I believe in the work that Jesus has done. I believe that's an accurate and reliable source, and we can test that and see that. And then also I would say, and here's what God has done in my life over 35 years of experience, because I've been a Christian now for over 35 years. And some of you are going, you don't even look 35. I know. (laughs) Thank you. But remember, I was young. I was only four uh, when I came to know Jesus. And it's been an imperfect journey. I'll be honest. But God has done things in me because of his goodness that I never would have thought without. I actually don't want to know the Barry who doesn't know Jesus. I'd much rather know the one who does. Why? Because we, even though we can't see the Spirit, we can see the effects of the Spirit, right? We can't see the wind, but we can experience the effects of the wind. In the same way, we ought to see the effects of Jesus on our lives, the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning in us. A couple of years ago, I was driving somewhere, I can't remember where, uh, and my wife was in the passenger seat. I honestly can't recall if our kids were there or not. But we were talking and chatting, and she said these words, which I will never forget, I know that God can move mountains. And I said, really, honey? How do you know that? And she said, because of what I've seen God do in your life. (laughs) And I went, like mountains? Like big ones? I didn't know if it was a compliment or if I should be a little offended. And I took it as a compliment. And here's why. In that moment, what I knew was that my spouse, the person with whom I have the closest and most intimate relationship here on earth, could see the work of God in me, which was pretty incredible. I took that as a huge compliment, and I, and I asked her, like, well, what do you see? And you know what? It wasn't like earth-shattering stuff. It was just, you used to get angry, but now you're more patient. And now you're kind when you used to be coarse. And I thought, huh, that's interesting, because the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 22 and 23 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. When it comes to our lives, when it comes to our faith journey, that ought to be our experience because we can have faith based upon what God has said in the Bible because of what he's done through the work of Jesus And ultimately, through what we experience as our lives are changed and transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. It comes straight out of my life verses, 2 Corinthians 3.18, which declares, We who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being ever increased, changed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Spirit. All that means is that the Holy Spirit rules and reigns in our lives and we radiate his glory more today than what we did yesterday. We're being changed in the very image of Christ. So much so that other folks go, huh, you're different. That's awesome. And that builds our faith. Our faith is built when we come to know what Jesus has done for us. And our faith is built as we come to read God's word. And so it's my hope and prayer that for each and every one of us, we begin to experience even more the faith that we have in Jesus, the freedom that we have in Jesus as he reveals his truth to us in love. And we get to do that as we take our next step for this week, which is this. I will allow God's word, the work of Jesus, and the witness of the Holy Spirit to build my faith 
this week. It's what he said. It's what he's done. It's what we get to experience. And it's our hope and prayer that as our faith is built, as we're transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, that many would come to know him and grow to be like him because of what he's done in and through us, not we, what we can necessarily do on our own. Amen? Amen. Do you know Jesus? Yes? No? Maybe a little? Well, today's the day that you can change that. Here at New Life, we say that it is as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we're sinners and that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And B, we believe. We believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we commit to following Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, I'm going to pray a prayer. In this prayer, you give ownership of your life over to Jesus. And when you pray this prayer, you begin to enter into that love relationship with Jesus. And because of that love relationship with Jesus, you're able to have faith. So right now, I'm going to pray it. You can either say the words with me, or you can say them in your own words. It doesn't matter what the words are. It matters the condition of your heart and that you really mean what you're saying. So pray this with me right now. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and Lord, that I need to know your son Jesus and that I need to admit that he is my Lord and Savior. And God, I just believe that Jesus is your son and I believe that he came to this earth and died for my sins so that one day I could be in heaven with you. And God, I just confess right now to everyone that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and that I commit to being in a relationship with him and that I can have faith in anything because of Jesus and the relationship that I'm going to have with him. And it's in your name that I pray.